maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on being a guest to a host you don't like, opening birthday gifts at a child's party, talking about wedding plans with friends who aren't invited, hosting an apartment warming, and how to avoid explaining why you don't drink. All of that, plus a postscript segment on post-election etiquette, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. We have like 10 different topics listed in our intro topics today. I think I was feeling very like, I don't know, there's a ton of stuff going on. What the heck do you want to talk about? We got holiday plans, baby names. I got a gift from someone and I didn't have a gift to give back to them, even though we were at a little birthday exchange lunch with each other. And we have a question on the show about something just like that. Yeah, I think so. We, um, But no, it's it's been a, I, I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off right now. Feels like two weeks in the last week. It feels like, yeah. Yeah, like it feels like my entire year is being shoved into one week. <laughs> and with the holiday season coming, yes. holiday plans being the top item on the list, uh, I will say that it's only going to get busier from here on out, at least for a couple of months. For for a couple of months, we're going to be pretty slammed. But I have to say the holidays are always the time I really look forward to. I know a lot of people dread them. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people. It's. I was talking with my friend Will yesterday and he's like, oh, yeah, we're not even going. We're doing Friends Thanksgiving because last year, like there were almost handcuffs and police called like we're talking yeah almost a fist fight broke out between the brothers Dan's like, eyes just got big yeah, like saucers it's like, there's great I mean holidays can be crazy for some families but I I have to admit I I really I really enjoy the holiday season I like the spirit that it brings as a single gal it is nice to have the warmth and comfort of family and friends kind of making more of an effort to gather and be close together that's a feeling I love. So I'm I'm looking forward to this time. I really I can't wait. I don't mind that we're past Halloween at this point. <laughs> no, we're, we're we're into the thick of it for sure, and yeah. it keeps happening. And um, just imagine adding a baby shower between a couple of those major I family know, gatherings. I'm going on Sunday. Oh, that's right. right? <laughs> um, yeah, you killed my weekend, Dan. Thanks. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Always love to help. I think this will be the first time you and I see each other in off work hours since the the unexpected visit after the hike to my house. Yes, I think that is it. I think that is it. As you know, Dan and I spend so much time together at work. It took his dear wife, Pooja, a a while to realize that, no, probably not going to do dinner parties together. (laughs) We try to do our socializing at work, and we're pretty cool with that. That works. (laughs) Um, but feeling similarly like the holidays yeah. are, are packed. I mean, Pooja's due date is is not long after. You guys could easily after the New Year. So have we're a gonna... Christmas baby, a New Year's baby. Uh, what else falls that you could have a Hanukkah baby mm-hmm. in any of those eight nights? We sure could. And the the other thing that we did that I'm going to take a little bow for. I'm patting myself on the back uh, audioly Audi- right now. Audio- <laughs> 
We canceled a trip that we had had scheduled for early December. Where were you going? We were going to go down to Florida and do like a sending family gathering. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With your with your brother and his wife and your parents. Yeah. yeah. And we just said, you know, it's too much. It's it's too late in the pregnancy to be traveling. It's not actually too late to be flying, but just it started to feel like it would be too a much lot. to yeah. tackle a week vacation out of state at that time. And as I'm looking at this holiday schedule and our accelerating work schedule also, I'm feeling better and better about that choice. I know Pooja is also. I was about to say, your business partner is very glad you decided not to do that. Just saying. Just saying thanks, cuz. I'll take that as my Christmas gift. (laughs) We hope everyone out there is as excited about this season as we are. And... I'm going to pause you for half a second. There is something that is going on in the United States the day this show airs tomorrow. So when this airs on Monday, it'll be tomorrow is Election Day. Mm -hmm. And we are going to talk about post-Election Day etiquette in our postscript today. So I just want to give a little precursor that we are actually going to deal with kind of the elephant in the room. It's not really the elephant in the room. Everybody's talking about it. Exactly. So... (laughs) We should talk about it, too. We should talk about it, too. But first, let's get to your questions. Let's do it. May I? Please? Thank you. These are words of respect. Words that make day-to-day living go smoothly. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave us a message on our answering machine at 802-866-0860. We do so love the sound of your voice. And our first question begins. Really? You're too kind. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm preparing for a potentially uncomfortable situation, and I hope you can help me to unravel some of my concerns in advance. I became friends with a great group of women two years ago who were visiting from overseas. Over the course of the year they were here in the U.S., I helped them get to know our country and customs and had a ball exploring everything from baseball to Broadway. Now we are switching places and I will be heading to their country for a visit. One of the women has been especially generous by offering me a stay in her home and taking time from work to be my personal tour guide. However, she has a pre-existing obligation for a portion of my time, so someone else in the group will host me for one day and night. This other person is not someone whose company I enjoy very much. She has a way of making remarks that make other people feel small. I often ended our outings feeling pity for anyone caught in her crosshairs, including myself. Still, I always made sure she was included in any big event I planned for the whole group. I felt it was the right thing to invite her to any gathering where it would be obvious if she were the only person left out. My instinct is to give this person a second chance to redeem herself. People grow up. They move on and even forget the details. My concern is that the stakes are too high. She will tour me around her small town for a day and have me stay in her home as well as drive me five hours to my next destination. It's overwhelmingly generous considering our previous encounters were fairly uncomfortable. A complicating factor is that their corner of the world is small and tight-knit, the type of place where everyone is related and hospitality is no small deal. I feel a lot of pressure to accept her aid. What's the conversion rate for unrequited kindness? Should I insist on staying in a hotel and finding public transportation to my next stop? Perhaps suggesting we meet only for dinner? Or should I endeavor to gracefully receive whatever she has to offer, but make sure I've got enough local currency on hand to manage any emergencies? With gratitude, confused about the local social currency. 
Oh my goodness, confused. That is quite a predicament. <laughs> I mean, that's just not fun. I understand your trepidation. And I think it also sounds like you've got the etiquette, the good guest skills, um, and the fortitude, I'll say that, to get through the roughly 24 hours you're going to spend with someone that you don't particularly like. It might just be good to bite the bullet and go with this. I find that most of the time when I'm dreading something like this, there are usually a few unexpected positives that pop up. I have rarely, if never, been able to say, I was so totally right about that. It was awful. Absolutely. And I give myself that voice because that is my whiny voice. It's so rare that that actually happened. Dan, how many times have I sat around our office dreading something, be it work or not related, and I come back and I'm like, okay. It was actually really great. Ultimately, your good nature wins out in the end and you make something good out of it. Absolutely. Right? It's like it really does happen. So I want to give you that kind of positive hope. That being said, if it's really bad, I love your idea of having enough local currency and and having the language to be able to say... I appreciate your offer, but I think I should probably go find a hotel. I'm During my travel, I'm finding that I need every now and again to just be alone. Or I need to just kind of go inside myself when I start getting a little nervous or uncomfortable. And it might be okay for you to be able to kind of pull a line like that and say, I'm feeling I need to do a little self-care right now. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to book this little inn for the night and I'm going to find the public transportation in the morning. Um, I'm so sorry to, to bail out on you, but this is what's going to be right for me right now. And remember, this is someone who is making you uncomfortable. This is someone who you are you are so uncomfortable that you need to do, if you need to do this exit strategy, that's when you employ it. It's not going to be because you're having a great time with this woman that you're going to all of a sudden turn around and be like, um, I don't want to stay at your house. That's not what's going to happen. I'm guessing that it'll be noticeable that this is not going well, and therefore you bow out gracefully. Yeah, you absolutely don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You can thank her for the offer and make whatever choices really make sense for you. Ultimately, you're in control of what you do, and you can feel good about whatever choices you make and confident in telling someone what those choices are. It's going to help them be clear and 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 receive it well to hear you say it with confidence. I'm curious if there are other women in the group that could join the two of them, either to create kind of a buffer, but if this was a group of women that all kind of came from the same area to stay in the States and then now our, our listener is going across um, the pond, as they say, to, um, to go stay, I'm just wondering if maybe there's another woman from the little town over that, that could come and act as a buffer or were there other places that you wanted to see where you could say, oh, your offer is so generous, but I was actually really hoping to go way over here that day and I was really looking forward to just kind of a day to explore on my own. Um, If you want to take that on, it's great. I'm the type of person where I'm like, oh my gosh, someone wants to drive me five hours to someone. I will just zip my lips and let her talk about whatever she wants to because it saves me from public transportation where I am scarred of after I got lost on the New York City subway when I was 18 years old and had a police escort back to something. Like, I'm just saying, I'm the type of person who goes, nope, sitting with someone who makes me uncomfortable, way better than getting lost in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) That's just me. No, it's not just you. I want to jump back to that first point you made they talk about proximity breeds of affection or generates affection that <laughs> really um, I, I, I can think of people in my life 
who I thought were going to be problematic, were going to be difficult characters. Oh, yeah. And they've become some of my closest friends. And sometimes it was because we couldn't avoid each other. We both sensed a charge to Mm -hmm. the relationship. And I probably would have avoided that that charge if I'd been given the choice. But because whatever life conditions were at play, we were... You were were forced to be dorm mates or something. In proximity with each other. And and those have turned into some of the longest lasting and most important friendships in my life. And while that is the super positive take, Takeaway. If that doesn't happen, know that at least it's just been 24 hours. And I think my gut instinct is that our listener has the etiquette skills, the etiquette currency to pull this off really well. So I'm not worried about her at all. I think she's worried, but I'm not worried about her. I, I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. I love the play on actual currency. So mm-hmm. you've got your bottom line material conditions taken care of. Yeah. An awareness of social currency. So this is the subtler. Someone's being generous. I need to pull in. Yeah. And is triply aware of the difference in different cultures and the way that social currency is accrued and exchanged. And sort of as a, a parting thought, I'd like to say thank you so much for being such an excellent host here in the States and bravo for your spirit of adventure and um, enthusiasm for continuing that cultural exchange and going to visit as well. I think that that is exactly the kind of thing that makes this world a little smaller, kinder and better place. I agree. Confused about the local social currency. I think you're actually way more spot on than you're giving yourself credit for. And I am excited for you to go on this trip and have this experience and, and be the guest in this situation. Have a great time. Our next question is titled Birthday Gift Opening. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've recently become hooked to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I am not sure if the topic of opening gifts has been discussed already or not. My daughter's birthday party is coming up. It's the first time she's invited friends. She's three. I've been to parties where the child opens gifts after cake, and I've been to parties where the child doesn't open gifts until after the guests leave. I know they are just kids, but in general and for future reference, what's the proper etiquette when it comes to opening gifts? Much appreciated in advance. Jean Ann. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. 
Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Gina, thanks for the question. And I want to start off by wishing you good luck with the party. <laughs> You're going to be dealing with these questions very soon in your life, buddy. I was thinking that thought, <laughs> but I didn't say anything because I was like, I'm just going to not reference the fact Sorry, that I, I am obsessed with thinking about all of the things that have to do with being a father right now. <laughs> um, generally speaking, Jean Ann, we advise that you do the gift opening as part of the party. And the thinking is that it's part of a, a unique and special experience. Giving and receiving gifts is an important social skill. It happens at important times in life. And it requires a particular set of social manners and capacities and capabilities. And by the time a child is three years old, they're ready to start learning that. And it doesn't mean that it's going to go perfectly every time. In fact, there's a, a, a rite of passage for many children that is the tantrum the <laughs> around moment. the gift that they don't want, where they learn the lesson about receiving gifts well. And that's an important lesson to receive, and it's one that's going to continue to inform them and be a real benefit to them for the rest of their life. So it's, it's not something to avoid. It's actually something to, to, to take the opportunity to experience and Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't, and then you get that opportunity to address it. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. Gift giving at a, at a little little child age, little kid age, is so important and it's so beneficial to not just the birthday boy or girl who's opening and receiving all these gifts, but to all the other little kids too. This is that moment where they have to learn to be excited to watch someone open their gift and be patient and wait for that gift to to be open. They're learning that experience, which for me and my sister will laugh heartily. I can't sit in a room with gifts that are that are unopened. I'm like, you got to open those. We got to see what's inside mm-hmm. those packages. But that's not it. The point is more so that those other little boys and girls at the party um, get to practice too. They get to practice watching someone open gifts, knowing that these are presents for somebody else mm-hmm. and that that's a good thing and that their turn will come on their birthday to receive the gifts. And I watched my good friend friend Mano last night. We were at kind of a, a white elephant Yankee swap kind of gift exchange thing. And she had clothes of golf type thing. and <laughs> Very silly gifts. Um, and she was so gosh darn excited when her gift was the one that was picked. And it was, she open it, open it, open it. And I said, and that right there is why we say it is really good for kids to practice opening gifts in front of each other because that little boy or girl has picked out a gift. Usually they've, they've helped out maybe at the age of three, not as much of an issue, but they know they are giving this gift to their friend. They've been told your friend is going to open this and be happy about it. And they're wanting that experience. And when that then doesn't happen at the party, it's kind of like this big, well, but well, well, we got them that gift and I never saw them open. And I don't know. And it's or it just gets lost and they don't ever think about it. And it's this. No, let the kids go through the process. But thank Sorry. you for taking us to the, the happy place. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm at a child's birthday. I feel the excitement about gifts. And that is that's the spirit. I, I went to the problem place, the potential <laughs> tantrum or something like that. But that's the fear. The fear is for the problem. And you don't want people to be jealous. and You don't want the focus to be on the gifts. But you don't want to let those fears interrupt or get in the way of that enthusiasm, that excitement that I'm sure you can all hear in my cousin Lizzie's voice when she thinks about little kids exchanging gifts or even exchanging a gift herself. 
And I know, I know that some parents have that moment of, oh my gosh, not another child's birthday where I have to watch some three-year-old wrestle with wrapping paper. That happens. I really implore you parents to um, really look at this as beneficial to your kids and to, to their learning experiences and to them practicing good etiquette skills and good manner skills because this party isn't about you. It's about the three-year-old. And I know that it's not fun to spend your Saturday always with a bunch of three-year-olds watching them open gifts and drink punch and pin the tail on the donkey. But that's what you're doing. You're giving them that social experience. And I'm really hoping that you can just embrace, you know, put aside that you find it boring or, oh, my gosh, tedious. And instead, and yeah, I'm using that language. I'm calling you all out. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm sorry. But use it as that moment where you say, my kid's getting something out of this. This is beneficial to them. So I'm happy that they're going to learn this. I'm happy they're going to experience it. Even if it goes to the tantrum place that Dan was talking about, that's still a learning experience. Let's let's use it to our benefit. So let's just tick yeah. off a couple of the, the good gift-giving etiquettes that kids get a chance to learn and practice through this kind of experience. And Go for it, Dan. I'll L- Lizzie them. was talking about the excitement for someone else, watching someone else open a gift that you've thought about and, and gotten specially special just for them. Um, for me, the fundamental is the thank you. That warm, generous, in-person thank you. The opportunity for the receiver of the gift to look at the person who's handed them a package and been excited with them when they opened it and to say, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Or thank you. I'm going to love this. Or whatever it is. But it's such a fundamental manner. It's so important. It's important all through life. And what a perfect place and time to practice it. Jean-Anne, we know this party is going to go well precisely because you've been thinking about it ahead of time and you're thinking about the best way to have it. We wish you the best, and we hope this is the first of many excellent birthday parties. Yeah! I titled our next question, Wedding? What wedding? We're not having a wedding. What wedding do you speak of? (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, warm G-Day from Australia. That would be G'day, Dan. That Ah. would be G'day. Think Australian. (laughs) Chris, please keep that. Okay. Warm good day from Australia. We are big fans of your show and listen to it together weekly. We love your down-to-earth, respectful approach and great sense of humor. We were hoping you could help with some advice for our upcoming wedding, which we are finishing the guest list for at the moment. Congratulations. Yay! We were keen for a small wedding, immediate family, and closest friends. But now that our mothers have gotten involved, we have already expanded to include cousins. We are lucky to have lots of friends from different stages of our lives, but are struggling to keep our list small, particularly with friends that we do see socially but aren't in our closest group. Many of these friends have included us in their celebrations and are part of a group that will be invited. We are trying to set the expectation that it will be a small, informal wedding and are trying to not discuss plans too much with those friends who aren't invited. But it feels like every time we leave a social gathering, we say to ourselves in the car, oh dear, we really should be inviting so-and-so. With five months to go until the event, we are thinking maybe we just shouldn't go out. What advice can you offer for maintaining the friendships of those that we won't be able to include in our day? With thanks. The Just One More Friend. Oh, the Just One More Friend. Y'all are in really good territory. (laughs) Um, And you're clearly generous friends with kind hearts. Um, So know that 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 is always the kind of thing that rings true. And people know you as as those types of people. There's no need to hide from everybody until you're married. In fact, friends who aren't invited are often more hurt if you try to avoid them or if you don't share news with them. Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen 
And the the friend who wasn't invited vented to me about how this is just ridiculous. I know I'm not invited and that's okay. And I don't know why she just won't talk about her plans with me. I even try to ask. And it just feels like I'm being kept out of something when it's like, talk to me about it so I can feel included. And not everyone's going to have that perspective. Some people are going to be hurt. I just I won't lie to you. There are some people who will just feel like, oh, well, I know maybe we're not the closest, but I really thought we would be. Oh, oh or no. They okay. got invited. Or they, I didn't. In, I thought we were all kind of on the same I, level. I invited you to my wedding. Did it? But remember that the, weddings aren't reciprocal events. I mean, your wedding might be 250 people and and this your our, our listeners wedding might be 50, 75 people, 50 people. I mean, you just don't know. And it's OK that, um, you, you know, if you do have limits, you can you can let people know, hey, the venue only allowed us to have 100 people and, you know, we both have large families or we had to make really tough decisions. But what we'd like to do is gather with everybody to celebrate. And remember that those celebrations, when you do kind of like a belated or an extended reception, an extra reception, something like that, the party to include the people you couldn't invite, those don't involve gifts. They are really just to get together and celebrate this with the people that you were not able to invite for whatever the reason was. Um, some people, it's their parents. You know, the parents really took over the guest list and it was more about inviting the parents' friends than about inviting the couple's friends. There are all kinds of reasons that you can't invite the people you'd love to invite. And this is a great moment to just mention that wedding guest lists are really tricky. And they it's are. why we tell people don't be offended if you're not invited mm-hmm. and treat being invited as the honor that it is. Yeah. That it is a special thing to be invited to, to bear witness and be part of someone's wedding day. And that being said, don't be bummed out if you don't get invited. <laughs> no, no, I know you said exactly. it at the start. But it's just funny because it is like, wow, it's such an honor to be invited. I wasn't invited. Oh, um, well, it's an honor to be thought of. Second? No, I'm just kidding. I think that you're going to be fine. I think that the trick is to not avoid talking about it and don't feel guilty that you can't invite everybody. The, there are restrictions and it is OK to friends that seem especially interested or where it does seem very confusing that they might not be invited, it's okay to offer a little bit of an explanation and say something like, I'm so sorry, I just want you to know, I really wish we could have extended you an invitation, given you an invitation, but the the way the guest list turned out and the other people that we had to be accountable to, it wasn't possible. I think that's really smart, particularly if your your social radar is picking up that they might be a little hurt. Yeah. If if that's something that you're perceiving and, and you're pretty sure you're right about that, yeah. I think a, a, a little something like that to acknowledge the, what you perceive as those hurt feelings it might be a really thoughtful way to, to soften that just a little bit. You might even as you're talking to some friends, once it's kind of known who's received invitations and who hasn't, when the subject turns to wedding plans, you might even ask a friend like on the side, like, do you care if we talk about this? And it just it gives a little bit of a and, and truthfully, you might want to say that even to people who are invited to the wedding, because let's face it, it's a big deal in your brain. It's not as big a deal in their brains. It's just not a bad thing to say. Do you care if I talk about all these wedding details or anything? Is this silly? Are you burnt out on wedding? <laughs> that level of social awareness can go a long, long way. Long way to both people invited and not invited. Um, you've got something in here. The 10 to 110 jump. What do you mean by that? I, these are show notes. And I was like, what is that? Good luck threading the needle. Dan, explain to me what you got. <laughs> um, I, I just want to c- congratulate our listener and um, our listener's fiance for trying to navigate what is really tricky territory. And I, I call it in my head the 10 to 110 jump, which is, is the that? size of your guest list that oh. you can have a small wedding, about 10 people, yeah. parents and siblings. 
Or you can expand the circle and it's going to be a wedding of over 100 people. Meaning as soon as you expand beyond the immediate family, boom, it's like a 100 person guest list no matter what. When I heard mothers involved, cousins are coming, I said to myself, oh, we're talking about the 10 to the 110 jump and threading the needle, trying to find a way to have a wedding guest list of 45, Mm -hmm. 50, 55 people, 25 people, I think is really hard. And I appreciate the the effort. And I'm not surprised that there is um, a a sense of social awkwardness that comes from being in this territory because there's a reason that people jump from that small wedding to sort of the more medium-sized wedding of over 100 people. Now, our listener has not asked about this, but dare we bring up the B-list. The B-list is an idea that as you get your nose, you might be able to extend invites to those who were almost on the list but just couldn't make it. And let me tell you something. The B-list is dangerous territory. The B-list can work if you are very quick. If absolutely, as soon as you receive your first 10 no's, you immediately send out those invitations to the first 10 people that you would love to. But the likelihood is people are going to notice that, oh, Jimmy got a Jimmy got an invitation three weeks ago and my invitation just came in today. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's for people who are a little snarky. They, they're they the people who will think negatively of that. I tend to think like, hey, not, not a bad thing, but also just something you need to be aware of. So if you happen to be considering a B-list, just know that it needs to be handled delicately and and just be careful with it. I'm over here just um, shaking a little bit at even yeah. the mention of the B-list. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, most often you see it for really big weddings, weddings where you've got long guest lists and, and sort of maybe a a particular venue that's got a certain capacity? I haven't heard that. I've heard it more for for anything. People people ask us about it in regards to very small weddings because it's like one person couldn't come, let me jump another person in. Gotcha. But it's also in regards to very large weddings. I've seen it all across the board, no matter the capacity size or anything. But it's just that idea of I don't want to not include people if I could. Mm -hmm. And I also don't want them to feel bad if I'm not putting them on that first A list. And it's why we just say, if you're going to entertain it, be, be willing and ready to maybe face a question about, hey, was I on a B list? And and you just say, you know, yeah, you were. And that's just what happened. And I'm so glad we were able to extend the invitation because we weren't able to invite everyone we wanted to. And so, you, yeah, no, I'm really glad we were able to get you on that B list. And so glad <laughs> you were able to come. <laughs> <laughs> and like Dan says, turn it quickly. But anyway, I've, I've gone on way too long about the A and B list, but it is an option. It's a, it's a potential thing. We say it is danger territory for sure. But so sometimes tread carefully. tread carefully. But I think that that just in talking with people, being as normal as you can be about your wedding and not if you don't make it a big deal, they're not going to take it as a big deal. With that, we wish you a very excellent wedding. We hope that it is everything that you have hoped and dreamed that it will be. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here, let's 
try another trick. Our next question is about an apartment warming. Dear Emily and Dan, while listening to last week's episode, Handshake Anxiety, one of the questions you fielded was about someone moving into a new neighborhood and wanting to make connections with their new neighbors. This is a similar situation that my husband and I have found ourselves in. We bought our first apartment in Manhattan this summer and moved in at the end of August. Congratulations! One of the appeals of buying an apartment was to become part of a community and build relationships with our neighbors. Manhattan is an amazing place, but can be a bit lonely and transient as people move in and out of rental apartments. Here's my question. We've lived in our new apartment for about two months. During that time, we say hello to people in the elevator and introduce ourselves. But I'm wondering if it would be appropriate to have a housewarming or an open house to meet our neighbors. Each floor seems to be a mini community within the building. I had considered creating cards and slipping them into everyone on our floor's mailbox. What do you think? Thanks, as always, for your helpful insights and the kind and courteous way you guide us through tricky situations. Sarah. Oh, Sarah. I love this idea. Um, Why not? Really, why not? Uh, Housewarming is a great idea when you're new to a neighborhood. I think an apartment warming is a great idea when you're new to a building. I also like the way that you've identified that the floors on your building seem to be mini communities. I I think that's an obvious first place to start, to to treat your neighbors, your floor mates as that community that you want to be a part of and that you want to participate in and contribute to. Um, a housewarming is a great way to do it. You can always extend people an invitation. If it's a an open event where people are welcome to come and go, just put a start and an end time as well as a date so that people know that, that window, that range of times where they're welcome and then be prepared. And you might get a really good response. You might get a big turnout. It might be smaller. You don't know what the convention or norms are in your building yet because you've only been there for two months. But you can certainly play your part and it's a, a very common – uh, a common etiquette, a common courtesy for someone who's new to have a housewarming, to introduce themselves and to give curious, I won't call them nosy neighbors, an opportunity <laughs> to just come say hi and, and check out the, the, new, the new folks yeah, a little bit. Yeah, take a peep into the apartment next door. I think it's a great idea. I think it's also really great to be proactive. I got to say, it is always nice when you are an established member of a community like this, especially in an apartment building, especially in a floor where it seems that each floor really is its own community. It's really nice for an established member to host a party or something that's a welcome get to know the new neighbors. It is also totally normal and great American etiquette for a new person on the block to host their own party and say, come meet us, come get to know us a little bit. And like Dan said, come see inside our house a little bit. Um, it's it's a it's a nice way to introduce yourself to the neighborhood. I think that slipping a, a card under their door is a good idea. There is a little concern about putting it in the mailbox. I don't know if apartments file under the same kind of laws as actual mailboxes out on the street where you are not allowed to paper and fly flyer things. And this is actually an invitation. So it, 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 it you're probably in safe territory, but just be a little careful with that. Maybe even check with the building, make sure there isn't some kind of policy. You can always send it through the mail. And you can always actually send it through the mail. But just one thing to remember in this circumstance, don't register for gifts. Some people get a little registry happy because, you know, it's like, they've oh, I just had a big wedding. We did all this registry stuff. Well, when I move into my new house, I should do registry stuff again. No, you do not do registries for housewarmings. Housewarmings 
the type of housewarming where people are going to bring gifts is usually the one where family and friends are coming to literally warm the space with their presence so that the 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 space itself doesn't feel strange to you. You've had your mother over, you've had your sisters and brothers over, you've had your best friend over, and the place starts to feel more like your place. That is the point of a housewarming. Typically, those are very close people in your life who tend to bring gifts and want to, you know, make things nice. When you have a housewarming like the one you're talking about, it's about getting to know you. It's about you uh, showing yourselves to your neighbors. You don't ask those people to give you gifts in that situation. And there's a big difference between the two. So just in in case anyone started whispering in your ear, oh, you're having a housewarming, you should register for gifts. You can say, no, 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 it's not that kind of housewarming. And you don't register for housewarmings anyway. You're just in good stead right now. And I think that as you know, as long as you pick a day that seems to work for everybody, you're probably going to get to know your neighbors and, and really feel more a part of that floor community in your apartment building. Congratulations on your new place in Manhattan. That is so exciting. We wish you the best. Our next question is a voicemail from Maddie on not drinking. My name is Maddie and I'm a freshman in college. And I can't drink alcohol because of medication I take. So because of that, I get a lot of questions if I choose not to take a drink. And it's kind of uncomfortable using that as an answer because, you know, it's a little personal to me. So I was wondering what are some good ways for me to answer people who ask me why I don't drink without feeling like I'm lying or ways that they won't pry for more information. Thanks. Have a good day. So little disclaimer, we're going to assume that Maddie is either a 21-year-old freshman in college or that she is a freshman in a country where you can drink as a freshman in college. Um, (laughs) We don't condone uh, underage drinking, but we also recognize that this is a problem and Maddie is dealing with it. And I don't blame her. I don't always, you know, when I didn't drink, I didn't always want to tell people why or why not. I just wanted them to not bother me about it. And I totally sympathize. This is one where there is a a rock solid standard in business that I find translates really well and easily to the social sphere. And in business, we say you are never expected to drink and you're never expected to explain your reasons for not drinking. And the reason we say that in business environments is that the reasons you might choose not to drink are varied and they're often very personal. Sometimes there are religious reasons. Sometimes there are health or medical reasons. Sometimes there's a history of addiction, either personal or in the family. Sometimes someone just doesn't like it. They prefer not to. They're not a big fan of the way drinking makes them feel. Um, Those are all very personal reasons, and you're not expected to get into a big discourse about them. So we tell people that you can always just decline a drink, and you don't have to explain why. And most reasonable, well-behaved, courteous people will accept that. And I think that translates perfectly into the social sphere. You're not always going to encounter that kind of attitude. But I just like to establish that as the baseline whenever we're talking about something like this because it's it's important to just feel like you're on really sound footing. And that's such a great baseline. But Maddie's a freshman in college. She's basically been told her whole life that this is when, like, you party. You go out. Drinking's a part of everything. There are games invented to make this drinking a social thing. I mean, like... And it it's can a feel that way. Big deal. And just when everyone is pouring, let me get you a drink from the keg. Hey, we're gonna play beer pong. Hey, we're doing this. Everything. Let's meet up for a drink. How many times do people say that? Let's meet up for a drink. 
and I know that she could easily decline in all of these situations. And you're absolutely right. But people are going to press. And not only that, but she's going to be hanging out with people who have been drinking. So they're not as sensitive to the to the needs of others in this moment. And they probably will just blurt out, well, why not? You know, and then sometimes it's even just enthusiastic. Oh, come on. We want you to have a drink. <laughs> yep. So what would you recommend Maddie say? What are our, our, our queen of sample scripts. (laughs) Way to put it back on me. Um, I think that Maddie has a couple options here. She's said that she's not totally comfortable with letting people know about the the medical part of it. I'm assuming she gets a lot of follow-up questions. What medication do you take? Well, why are you on that medication? That gets really personal Mm -hmm. really quickly, and I don't blame you for not wanting to talk about it. I think you will need to get comfortable with putting up a boundary. And, and you should feel confident in being able to. And it, it might not always flow smoothly. But when someone says, oh, here, have a drink. And you say, oh, no, thanks. First of all, that's one where you can just, oh, no, thanks. No reason, no nothing. Just turn it down. Oh, come on, come on, come on. No, really, I actually, I, I don't drink, but thanks. I've, I've got what I need. I'm all set. Oh, why don't you drink? Well, because it's, I just, I don't, but thank you. I don't want to get into it, but thank you. I don't drink. No, you know, I just I really don't drink. It doesn't agree with me, but I'm so glad I'm here having a good time. Let's get you a drink. <laughs> you know, as as much as you can move it along, it's one of the better things you can do. Um, This is one that doesn't sound hard for me because yeah. I am not much of a drinker. You're I rarely drink. And in yeah. fact, that's what I tell people. I say, you know, I'm not much of a drinker or I very rarely drink. And exactly what I just said now to you over the microphone is what I would say if I encountered that person at that party. Yeah. And I find that those responses work well for me because I'm not making a judgment about the, the, the act of drinking or the other person drinking. I'm just saying that and I'm not saying I never do it, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying, you know, I'd rather not. I'm not much of a drinker. I drink pretty rarely. This happens to not be one of the times where I am. You could say it doesn't agree with me or it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't um, it doesn't work for me. It's not something that makes me feel good. I mean, however much you want to get into it, you can get into it. I would just practice that and feel confident practicing it, that it's just something you are going to deal with. I I remember sometimes I would get lectures from people about how, Lizzie, you're never going to meet anybody if you're at these parties and not drinking because people are going to be uncomfortable that they're drinking and you're not. People would say stuff like that to me and I would turn to them and say, thanks, but that's not really helping me. And it's okay to deflect some of the nastier comments that you may get when you tell people you don't drink. Oh, you're no fun. Really? I think I'm fun. I have fun with people. I have fun with you, even though you're drunk. Like, I mean, you don't really want to throw it back on them, but because that's judgment on them. But it's that feeling of just, I, I want you to be prepared for people to press or people to make comments that, that don't make you comfortable and to be able to just say in your head, this person's a jerk, I'm going to walk away, or this person just doesn't get it and it's okay because they don't, they don't understand what it's like from my perspective. And I'm not willing to share with them why I can't drink, so I don't need to go there with them and I can just let them be ignorant on this one. I, I was thinking to myself as you were talking, because yeah. it's true that you will sometimes get the person that doesn't take the cue or persists. Yeah. And I was like, so what do you say next? What's the second thing that you say after I'm not much of a drinker? I'm good. No, really, I'm fine. No, I'm having a great time. I'm I'm perfect right now. And and I think that you're right. Just practicing having that that consistent, confident, I'm not doing this and I'm good. Things are good. Yeah. I feel good. And then be it's ready okay. to, to take that conversation to that 
other place that you want to take it. Exactly. Maddie, we hope that this gives you some ammo for your back pocket when you're going to college parties this semester. But mostly we really hope that you get confident and comfortable delivering these lines so that you can enjoy your time with your friends. And thank you so much for writing in about this. I think this is something a lot of people actually do deal with, and it's not always an easy one. As always, we like to finish this part of the show by thanking you for sending your questions. This really is the beating heart of our show. You can send your next question, update, or comment to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860, or you can reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know that you want it on the show. That's what good manners do. They make everyone feel at ease. It's our favorite part of the show. My favorite part of the show. Is it your favorite part of the show, Dan? You know, I think my favorite part of the show bounces around different <laughs> different weeks. Although this is a good feedback section today. I was going to say, it's time for our feedback section. And we can't emphasize enough how important your feedback is to the health of this show. It keeps us on our toes. It reminds us of things we may have overlooked. But best of all, it gives us a chance to hear from you. Our producer, Chris Roberts, has been pouring over your comments and joins us to share some of your reactions. Hi, Chris. Hi there, Dan. Hi, Lizzie. I have a little hi. bit of sorry. a cold. Um, we didn't say hi back to you. I'm sorry. That's, that's okay. I have hi, a little, Chris. Uh, hi. I have a little bit of a cold, but I really appreciate these times because I then have the low timber that I always covet in my voice. So I'm going to try <laughs> to enjoy it as much as possible. Weight is an issue that comes up periodically on the show. Weight gain, weight loss. And in episode 81, a woman needed help with her discomfort over people commenting on her weight loss. And that struck a chord with a listener, Jessica, who wanted to make sure another angle was addressed, weight loss due to illness. Jessica herself has suffered from anorexia for 10 years and is going through a period when it is extremely important, she says, that she regain weight. Actually, it's a life or death issue for Jessica, and it's a very slow, fraught, challenging process. So, as Jessica writes, when people who do not know that I have grappled with this condition for a decade compliment my small frame, it throws me in a tailspin. They make assumptions that my low weight corresponds with physical fitness, saying things like, you're in great shape. What they don't realize is I have not been allowed to exercise in a year since my heart is greatly weakened. Or they will say, your daughter is lucky to have such a healthy mom, and I cringe. These people have no idea that they are unintentionally affirming an insidious voice in my head telling me to skip meals and exercise another 30 minutes after I've already done an hour. And Jessica also brings up examples of friends who have lost weight due to cancer or have gained weight because of treatment for lupus. And that is why she says that long ago I decided to trade the phrase, you look great, for it's so great to see you. And Lizzie and Dan, there are at least a few instances in my life when I wish I would have heeded Jessica's advice. 
I agree. I think it's actually a great exchange. Our country and our culture values skinny so much. Every single women's magazine, even men's magazines. I mean, it's not a it's not a sex issue. It's to both. We are told that we should be skinny and physically fit and that these are good things. And people don't always realize um, I lost a lot of weight due to a really anxious time in my life. And people knew that I had always sought to be losing weight, that that was something I, I wanted in life. And so they were praising me when they would see me and it'd say, you know, it's actually not for great reasons. I'm really looking forward to eating again. Thank you. And it's just they don't always know. And it's why we've had this issue come up before the idea of you look great or oh, you look so good or oh, my goodness, if people commenting on looks as the first thing you say because our culture is so focused on looks and looks to a certain degree are also an indication of things are going well for you. You look healthy. Your skin doesn't look sallow. You look happy. And I think instead of attributing it to looks, saying things like, it's so great to see you. You look so happy. Those are phrases that I think uh, go for an emotion rather than a a physical attribute. And I, I do caution people to remember, you just don't know what's going on in someone's life. So commenting on their appearance isn't always the best way to go. It's not always a compliment, as Jessica has explained very clearly. And I think it's it's just a really important perspective to remember. Do you think it's good advice to just completely refrain from commenting on appearance? I know there are some people who work really hard to lose a, a lot of weight, and occasionally you run into them, and they might be hurt if you don't acknowledge their effort. Right. I think it's a t- it's a tough call, and you just... You, um, I think you try to keep those congratulatory comments to people that you know really well and you know for certain that this was intentional. And to other people who you don't really know what's going on in their lives, that's where you say, it's so great to see you. And I love Jessica's language for that. Having a default that isn't a comment on appearance is a nice baseline. And then you can make the good choice to decide when to, when to compliment someone on their appearance because you know it's going to be well received. Let's talk again about email etiquette. A lot of listeners have expressed interest in the email etiquette postscript discussion you both had, including Mark, who conducts much of his work through email and is flooded daily with emails. Mark says people often write thank you in their emails and then have it automatically contained in their email templates, so it's mentioned twice. And he questions how genuine and sincere those thank yous are. My only tip is that if a person is thankful for the work completed, Mark writes, then it would be much more meaningful if the email contained a mention of what was done that made them thankful. For example, instead of saying simply thank you, one could make it a point to say instead, thank you for doing X because of Y. I will also include a CC to the person's supervisor or co-workers in that instance to make sure they get full credit for their work. It seems to me that email should really be meaningful and that when the complete content is only an FYI or thank you, then perhaps it's a greater courtesy to not clutter the inbox of the recipient. So what do you guys think about that? Can a mere thank you be meaningful or is it clutter? I don't think there is an easy answer for that because this is a complicated question. It's why we we tackled it in a postscript. But I really appreciate Mark's perspective here. He brings up a point that really bears repeating, which is the, the thank you that's included as part of the signature line in an email is often viewed the way Mark views it here as something that's perfunctory. And that because it's automatic, because it happens every time, it, it doesn't feel genuine. It doesn't feel sincere to the recipient. And 
for folks that have, have listened to more than one episode of this podcast, you've heard Lizzie and I say that the fundamental principles of good etiquette are consideration, respect, and honesty. And you show your honesty through your sincerity. And if your thanks doesn't come across as sincere, it can really be damaging to a relationship. So I absolutely um, advise people to give the thanks the weight it deserves, put it in the body of the email so that it'll be received with the, the good intention that it's that it's meant. Um, and, and, and it's not that everybody who has thank you in their signature line doesn't mean it. It's about the perception of that person on the other end who's receiving the message. Of course, Mark's also correct that if you can personalize a thank you, if you can mention something specific, if you can talk about why it matters to you, that will personalize the message. It will give it more meaning, more impact. I think there is still room in work for a quick thank you. I think there is room in work for thanking someone for doing something for you and that that's not necessarily spam just because it doesn't elaborate on the point. I think that's a question of dosage and proportionality. Um, and I don't think that just because a thank you isn't personalized in that way that it then lacks all meaning. I think that there is still room for, in the same way there's room in a conversation, I think this was the point that was made in that other postscript, that email is can be viewed as a, analogous to a written letter, but it could also be seen as analogous to a conversation. In the same way, you'd say, thanks so much for doing that for me. You might send an email that just says, thanks so much for doing this for me or whatever it is, and it doesn't need to be a long explanation about why. Well, what I think is what's interesting about what Mark is doing is that the article itself was saying, get rid of more conversation, get rid of more conversation, don't clutter my inbox with conversation. It was, don't make me write, how are you? Don't make me explain what I'm thanking you for. That's what the article was about. And I kind of like the fact that Mark has parsed this out to be, no, 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 take the time to actually explain your thank you. What are you thanking me for? What are you doing this for? In some ways, he's putting more weight into it. Or then he's saying, if you're going to keep it simple, don't bother doing it at all. And I tend to just fall in the in the camp that my cousin does, where there's kind of a happy balance in the middle that I think we're still a culture that appreciates that happy balance, even even with the article that was written and and even with perspectives uh, like Mark's that say, don't bother sending something that just says thank you. And finally, we got this comment about our conversation about handshake etiquette from Bela. Hi, she writes, I was shouting at my iPad while listening to Dan and Lizzie talk about the woman who did not wish to shake hands with someone she feared might be ill. I desperately wanted Dan or Lizzie to mention that you should never apply hand sanitizer immediately after shaking hands in front of the other person. They might interpret this as an insult, and it could hurt their feelings. In a similar vein, if you feel the need to run off to the bathroom to go wash your hands, this should never be so obviously done that it would cause the other person to worry that they are being perceived as being dirty. Thanks for the podcast. I love Awesome Etiquette. One more thing. I think that the perfect name for Dan and Pooja's baby girl would be Emily Rose after Emily Post. All the best, Bela Singer. Bela, thank you so much for that comment. Um, I just I wanted to jump right in. Uh, and and say that you are not alone. We actually got a couple emails like this, and Dan and I totally agree. When we say run to the bathroom, no, we don't mean actually run to the bathroom in the moment. We don't mean put hand and sanitizer on in the moment. You are right. This would be an indication that the other person is dirty, and you don't want to convey that. So we apologize for leaving that piece of etiquette out. Um, but yes, take the minute, do the introduction, have the the three or four or five minute conversation. The way you protect yourself in that moment, um, those germs are not going to get in through your skin. 
I hate to hate to let you know, but that's not how that works. They um, they get in through your mouth, your nose, your eyes, and your ears. So don't touch your head. Basically, that is the way to protect yourself, and that does come from the CDC. So once you've had the niceties and the little conversation, and it's now time to move on to another person that you're mingling with, that's when you go and use the hand sanitizer. I also just want to make note that there is actually or was actually an Emily Post rose. So she was a master gardener. There is a version a, a version of a rose. I think there is like one bush of it left in the whole United States or something. I'm not sure we can actually find it, but it is the Emily Post rose. So Emily Rose is actually a very appropriate name for a baby girl in our family. I'd completely forgotten about that little bit of botanical history. I remember the Emily Post Rose at Mud and Poppy's place. Yes, they had one. Where I visited about two weekends ago mm-hmm. for the first time in a little while. It was a really, really nice visit. Thank you so much, Bela, for the suggestion and for the comment. You were not alone in that reaction. manners are showing, and it's good manners that make a good impression. Well, it's time for the Postscript segment of our show where we explore etiquette beyond the Q&A. And with the election happening in our states tomorrow, we thought it was time to talk post-election etiquette. I mean, for the past, I don't know, since I was little, half of the country is going to be upset with the outcome. So how do you deal with that? How do you not gloat? Dan, you're my political guru. So talk to me, man. What do we do? I was thinking about this question. I was like, how, how are we going to talk politics when um, we, we, we generally avoid it professionally? <laughs> um, and my, my thought was that this is one of those places where we're talking about a fundamental etiquette question. And so I think some of our strongest material comes out of our children's programs and programming. And I was thinking about this in the context of sportsmanship, that people talk about politics being like a blood sport, like one of the most serious competitions that you can possibly imagine. And I, I like the idea of approaching this election as a competition or a sport, and it's over, and it will be over. That will happen. We will be in that place. And how you conduct yourself there I think we can take lessons from our children's programs on sportsmanship. And the first two major concepts that I wanted to put in front of people is that nobody likes a gloating winner. Just because you were victorious doesn't necessarily mean you are right to gloat. And you can spoil that victory so quickly by not handling it well, by not conducting yourself well. So my first big caution is to be careful about gloating. You don't want to rub anyone's nose in it. You don't want to do anything that's going to make someone else feel bad about what happened. You can just take pleasure yourself that you won. The flip side of that is that no one likes a sore loser either, (laughs) that you're not going to take your ball and go home. One of the things I loved about playing hockey in Vermont growing up was that after a game, both teams lined up and everyone shook hands. Mm -hmm. And that was winners and losers. And you got to be in both situations at some point in your playing career. So that opportunity to be a a loser who holds your head up high, keeps your chin up, can wish your opponent a good game (laughs) and commit to practicing harder, playing tougher, and being better next time, whether you win or lose. I think that's an important lesson also, and we can take that into the political sphere and it applies as well. I think it does. And I think that much like a game can feel life or death in the moment, this does have some real stakes tied to it that hit people on a really personal level. Some of the platforms people are running on, some of the things that they are behind are very personal issues. And I think you have to remember that to someone who has their candidate doesn't win, 
a lot of the beliefs and things that they hold dear are potentially not going to be executed and come out as political outcomes. And that that can actually be very distressing to someone to live and operate under a country whose governing laws are not things you agree with. That can be unsettling. And to remember that this isn't just a game that tomorrow the outcome isn't going to matter. This matters to people. And to not be gloating, to not be assuming The one that I've really found interesting through this whole election season are the number of people that start a political conversation about the candidates, assuming that you are going to agree with what they are about to say. And so I I would caution people from assuming that the person they are speaking to is happy or not about the outcome. In that thinking about ways that you might come across as as someone either gloating or someone who's not losing well, um, I think about the know-it-all, the person who afterwards says, well, I knew this was the way it was going to happen. It could be either side of the equation, but but the person who acts as if they know more about it than everyone else that they're dealing with. And something else that, that Lizzie just said also brings to mind the idea of the chicken little, that the sky is falling, that, that it can feel incredibly catastrophic. And while it's true that these are serious issues, these are real issues, and, and it does matter how elections turn out, it's also probably true that the sun will rise tomorrow and that by overstating the importance of the election and to show too much um, catastrophic concern starts to be out of proportion with what's happened and with what other people's experience of what just happened might have been. We are a system of checks and balances. This one person will not rule everything no matter who they are. <laughs> and, and sort of a, a parting thought or a final thought that in my notes, I just have a little bullet point that's for the love of the game. And thinking back to that that hockey analogy that that hopefully that there will be another game that we can all enjoy, there will be another election, and that if politics is something that you really do care about and if the way this election turned out made you feel either really good or really bad, that you can remind yourself that means that you care and you care about the game and that what really matters here is that you're able to keep playing because we're all going to be winners, we're all going to be losers in life, but um, it's really how we play that matters in the end. So a little sportsmanship lesson that hopefully will apply this political season. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way, that's easy enough. And it does make a difference all day long. Well, finally, we'd like to leave you with some inspiration in the form of our weekly etiquette salute. And uh, we got to say the level of consideration, respect and sacrifice celebrated in this particular salute is uh, is quite nice. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is TJ. I really love your podcast. It was introduced to me from a friend and I haven't stopped listening since. I think you guys give some awesome advice and really positive advice, even in the stickiest of situations. And I feel like that's hard to do, but you guys do a great job at it. So thank you for that. And I really appreciate it. I wanted to salute a woman who works at my organization. Let's call her Tanya. A good friend of mine who also works here was hiring for a position within her department, and she had two candidates. One of the internal candidates was Tanya, and there was an external candidate. And she was really torn about picking between those two women. And ultimately, she ended up giving Tanya a call to explain the situation, how she was 
torn about choosing between them because they were both really strong candidates. And Tanya did this amazing thing where she asked, does the woman have a job? Is she working now? And my friend said to her, no, she's not working. She just moved to our state for family reasons, and so she's looking for work now. And so what Tanya did is she decided to bow out. She told my friend, I'm going to bow out because I feel like I've been really blessed. And although this position would be a bump for me and it would be a great move for my career, I really can't see myself taking the opportunity from someone who is not working because I do have a job. And I just thought that that was a really awesome and sweet thing that she did. So I think she deserves a salute and and so much more because that's uh, something that I've never heard of before. And it was just really beautiful. I couldn't agree more. I think that is really beautiful. It's certainly very considerate. And I do want to say, please don't feel badly if you are applying for a job and choose not to take this type of action. But I do think that it was uh, certainly a measure of consideration that goes above and beyond and deserves a salute for sure. I I, I like the last sentence there. I think this deserves a salute and more. And my only regret here is that we don't have any and more that we can offer at this moment, but we will offer the heartiest and most heartfelt etiquette salute to Tanya for her incredible self-sacrifice. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out. Please subscribe on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. Thank you.